Live from the basement of Voodoo Sound, it's time to get your mojo working. I got my mojo working, but it just won't work on you. Take the next 40 odd minutes to get your hands on some tips and tools that will get you working at your best in both your business and your personal life. Hey everybody, and welcome to this week's edition of the Mojo Radio Show. Let me tell you, you know, straight out, straight out of the gate. If you don't have your mojo working this week, stay tuned because we have got a beautiful, inspiring story to bring to you this week on the Mojo Radio Show. We've got Cody Coleman, who's on his spring break from Stanford. He's jumped on the bus and he's heading to Mojoville, uh, which is a suburb just outside of Mojo University. How am I tracking so far? Oh, mate, you're doing so well. Keep it up. <laughs> Strong start. No, what's happened is I uh, I ran out of uh, I ran out of full cream milk this morning. Right. So I have had my my coffee this morning, mm. and I had to use coconut cream, and I put in some grass fed butter, mm. an inch of coconut oil, and I'm all jacked up on fat. <laughs> He's firing all fours. Nice one. All jacked up on Mountain Dew. All jacked up on Mountain Dew. I hope that's that, that would be organic. Milk, grass. It was milk. actually. Yeah, it was. Nice. I've, I'm reading an interesting book at the moment on the whole grass-fed thing and what's happening across the world. And this guy wrote a book called Grass-Fed Nation, mm. and he did dig into uh, butter and cream and goats and all that sort of stuff and the effects of having grass-fed versus the normal stuff. Let's call it stuff the supermarkets are pumping out, and just the nutritional benefits. Uh, as well as the essential fats that come with it. So, yes, our household has moved to supporting the farmer directly. Mm. So that's a good point. I, um, I won't name and shame, but a certain family member of mine drinks skim milk and I cannot deal with it. It's like you might as well put water in your coffee. Well, there is this book is very interesting because it goes into the nutritional benefits as well. So what we typically buy in supermarkets has had all the goodness taken out of it. And a lot of that starts with the soils and the grass and the microbiomes, all the stuff that we have talked to Yasmina Agnivix from Mother Dirt and we've talked to Diane McGraw and a lot of other guests on the show we've talked about this. But um, I, I think it's the next frontier. We have had a crack at it. I mean, it costs a bit more, but if you're getting more nutrition out of it and you're getting healthier fats, then I don't know, maybe it, maybe it pays off. Yeah, I agree. You can't go past the taste, let's be honest, either. You're going to go. Go full fat, mate. Go full fat. In fact, what I'm thinking is grass-fed, grass-finished, paleo, wild food, vegan, vegetarian, <laughs> Tim Tams. Are you with me? You I with can me? feel you there, mate. I can feel you there, definitely. I'd buy them tomorrow. All right, let's get into it. The Mojo Radio Show. I love this guy's name. It's cool, isn't it? He should be a rock star. Absolutely. He could be a rock star with a name like that. Mm. Or an NBL basketballer. Yeah, there you go. Absolutely. <laughs> Maybe both. So here's the backstory. Uh, over the last, we've been going now for four odd years, there has been an underlying current, I think it's fair to say, through our show around grit and resilience. Some of our highest rating shows have been with Carolyn Adams Miller from the USA, Professor Lee Waters here in Australia, a, a bunch of other guests, uh, some from the positive psychology area, some just guys who are getting after it, like Andrew Paul, the Navy SEAL, Tate Fletcher, former UFC fighter. And grit and resilience has been this underlying thing that we've been digging into for ourselves and for our children. And 
One of the Bibles that started this whole thing off was a book by Angela Duckworth called Grit. I happened to cross it in the library. That's a, that's isn't that an old saying? Happened to cross it. Happened to cross it. Yeah, that my grandmother yeah. used to say that. I happened to cross. I found it. A friend of mine. Yeah. I saw it. Eh? A. <laughs> I saw it in the library and grabbed it. And had a read. Now, in the book, I came across this beautiful story of a guy called Cody Coleman, who actually I'm not even going to spoil the story, but it is amazing. And all I'm going to say is, we've caught Cody on his spring break from Stanford. The journey to get there is incredible. And if at the end of this interview, mate, if you're not ready to get after it and make your dreams come true, my question is, if he can do what he's done, what's stopping you? So, Cody, welcome to the Mojo Radio Show, mate. Ah, thank you. Thank you for having me. Now, Cody, just to put everybody in the picture, let's, let's rewind a tad and take you back to your upbringing. You were born 30 miles east of Trenton, New Jersey, and you had, it was, let's just say it was a pretty rough, untraditional upbringing in your household. Can you just run that story for us, mate? Yeah, definitely. So uh, I definitely had a very humble beginning. So I never met my father. He left before I was born. I, I don't even know his name. Um, my mother, she was mentally unstable and she was actually in prison when I was born. Uh, so I was put into foster care and then shortly adopted by my grandparents. And I lived with them kind of throughout my life. They were my legal guardians growing up. And they adopted uh, me and my siblings. Um, I have two older brothers and one, uh, one older sister, so I'm the baby of the family. But um, after about a year in prison, my mother's charges were dropped. But during that time, the FBI had declared her mentally insane. Now, my grandparents, they're like really nice, kind-hearted people um, as far as like taking in me and my siblings. And they just, they, they of course ended up taking my mother in as well. Um, and, but that was kind of like a constant source of drama. There's a lot of different fights between my mom and my grandparents. She would call up the FBI every night and leave voicemails for them, kind of detailing her personal troubles. She would write these crazy emails in all caps. Um, and send them to all sorts of different people. Um, and I think over over the 24 years that we had the house that I grew up in, we generated about 65 police reports, um, ranging from everything from my mom tossing hatchets in the front yard, and we used to live like next to a highway, so sometimes you would miss the tree and it would go flying out into the road to uh, animal cruelty. She had a lot of animals that she couldn't take care of. Uh, many of the animals she had probably... Uh, 20 like cats and dogs in total. And I was allergic to all of them. So uh, <laughs> I was literally sick growing up. So it was, it was, uh, it was a struggle. Now you've, you've spoken about being poor and sort of living basically on welfare. Give us, give me an example, Cody, of how poor is poor? Like, do you remember an instance where in your household, something happened or occurred or was a lack of something that made you appreciate just sort of how poor you guys were? Yeah, I mean, definitely. Like in hindsight, kind of now being uh, like well off as far as uh, being a student at a good university and stuff like that, looking back on it, it's kind of crazy. So, I mean, even simple things, like we didn't have toilet paper. So, for example, we would go to like McDonald's or something like that and we would take like napkins from there. We would use that as toilet paper, put it into a basket and then like take that out with the garbage. We would, um, we didn't have like a working washer and dryer in our house. They had to go to the laundromat. 
but probably, I guess the biggest and most difficult thing was, um, like healthcare. So we didn't really have any like proper healthcare. I didn't have like a primary care doctor or anything like that. So whenever I got sick, I would have to go like my, my mother would take me to, uh, to the emergency room and effectively like apply for charity there. So it was only when I was, uh, either really, really sick. Um, and like there was no preventative care. So I'd get really sick. I had asthma as a kid, so I'd have asthma attacks. I didn't like, uh, I didn't have an inhaler. So when that would happen, I would have to go to the hospital and then they would give me an inhaler and I would use that until like it ran out. And then I wouldn't be able to go and get another inhaler until I had an asthma attack again. So there's kind of a lot of things like this that happened. Um, and just with colds and stuff like that, which to some degree actually got in the way of like going to school. I remember at one point, um, kind of in my early years in high school, I, I nearly had, um, enough absent days. Like I missed almost, I think it was like 16 or 17 days of school, um, to the point where I was almost going to have to repeat a grade just because of the absences I had. So, uh, I think, uh, the kind of doctor situation was probably the, and the healthcare situation is probably one of the hardest things to deal with as far as, um, Sorry, difficulty. I mean, there's also like food and nutrition and stuff like that. We definitely really didn't eat well. I was a very skinny kid growing up. Uh, I didn't have, so it wasn't until like, yeah, I was, I was very skinny growing up. I couldn't really afford anything. It wasn't until like high school when um, I got a job at the local library that I started to buy food for myself and was able to like feed myself and, and buy allergy medicine, for example. Like I didn't have that growing up. So I literally just spent uh, every single morning and all my time at home uh, kind of sick with a runny nose, sneezing and whatnot. Uh, which is also really bad for my asthma. So, Cody, at that time, I mean, you hear people talk about this and they say, at the time, I thought we were the same as everybody else. I thought everybody went through this. Oh, yeah. So in hindsight, you can see these situations. At the time, did you know? No, I would say, yeah, definitely growing up, I didn't really realize how bad things were. I just kind of assumed that this was kind of like uh, what everyone's life is like. Um, I just like, this was how things were. I was never, I always felt like it, it just seemed so silly, like having to struggle for everything, like having enough food and stuff like that. It was always like a battle of like trying to, to go to like the super discounted aisles and like the supermarket and try to find things there and all sorts of different stuff. Um, and getting anything that we needed. So, but at the time I didn't really notice, like I didn't really like pay attention to it too much. Uh, yeah, I didn't even, especially like really, really younger on, I didn't notice that my kind of family situation was different. I didn't realize that cookie was kind of weird. And like, uh, I didn't understand that, I guess, families were supportive and like really kind of cared and wanted people to succeed. Uh, I mean, I remember my mom. So we always called our mom, uh, my, my mother, Cookie. So if I say Cookie at any point, I'm, I'm talking about my mom. And, uh, I mean, she would just like come and go, she would scream and stuff like that. She would do all these, like all sorts of different things. Uh, she would, she would refuse to buy food for me, uh, and instead bought food for her like cats and dogs. And then that put my grandmother in kind of like a tough spot. And there was periods of time where like my grandmother was trying to force my mom to buy food for me. So she stopped buying food for me, which was like an awkward situation to put me in. Um, but yeah, at the time I just thought that that was kind of like what everyone's life was like. Um, I didn't really realize, I didn't really realize like there was so much more out there. I didn't realize that, um, right. Like I could be a computer scientist. I didn't know that that was like a job or kind of a, a career that you could pursue until I was like applying for college. And I remember looking here in like the U S we have this college board thing and you kind of select like the major that you're thinking about, um, 
majoring in. And I was like going through that list. I was like, Oh, there's a thing called computer science and, and like software engineering and stuff like that. Like, Oh, that sounds really interesting. Um, I, I'll, I'll select that box. And that's kind of taken me to where I am today. That's where I want to go next, Cody, because what I am curious about is that moment where you made the choice. So you, you don't want to live in those conditions. You want a better life. Many, I suspect, take the laneway that goes down gangs, drugs, alcohol, crime. You chose education and you said that education in your mind was the ticket out of that. Why did you choose, how did you know to choose education? Why did you do that and not choose the other one, which seemingly is a route that a lot of people take, which is into a dark place? Yeah, definitely. So... Yeah, I think there's a lot, like, kind of a lot of different things that were going on there. Um, Part of it, I guess, was, uh, I was, like, where our house was was a little bit separated from other people. So it kind of was uh, hard to get out of the house and, like, go and hang out with uh, with other people, which might be part of it. Um, But I guess there might have been, like, I was never a cool kid, kind of, in um, middle school or high school or anything like that. I was very kind of, uh, I didn't have, like, money for, like, clothes or anything like that. I had hand-me-downs or like stuff that we got from like Goodwill and, and things like that. So I wasn't, uh, didn't really have a street cred to like kind of go down that route. But I would say, um, there's a few things. One, right. Like a simple kind of fact is like, whenever I went to school, there's, uh, it was I, like my allergies would stop and I would be able to get a free lunch and stuff like that. So maybe there's like a positive association there, but ultimately I think the thing, yeah, it's like, okay, cool. It's like literally school was a breath of fresh air for me, like going there every single day. So maybe there was like a positive association with that. Um, but actually, I think the biggest reason was um, my older brother, Sean, actually kind of came back into my life. So he's 18 years older than me. And so when I was born, he was pretty much um, on his way out of the house. He wanted nothing to do with the family and just kind of completely cut himself off from everyone, which I really don't blame him for because of all the kind of uh, kind of craziness that was going on and all the problems and he had, he had to deal with everything that I did, but like even more because my mom had him when she was 16 years old, uh, really didn't know anything about like raising a kid and like was kind of more of a nomad and just like, uh, took him in and out of homeless shelters and stuff like that. So he had like a lot of, a lot of really tough things to deal with and just like cut himself off of the family. But the thing with him is, uh, at, at a certain point, probably I'd say like when I was in middle school, like late middle school, early high school he had started to settle down. So he found a partner. He was living in Virginia at the time. And, um, he had like a, he had a good life and just kind of out of like the kindness of his heart. He was like, you know what? Um, I, I, I wish I could help like Cody, like help me out and the rest of the family. So he came back up to New Jersey and he kind of reconnected. And that's like, I did uh, That's when I like first really got to know my older brother, Sean. And, um, to me, he kind of became my role model. Just seeing him succeed made me think like maybe I could do it as well. And he had kind of gone through, uh, he had went to college but dropped out and then was starting to do like IT work at universities and stuff like that. And then ended up doing kind of IT work for his partner who had um, his own private practice. So uh, he was kind of like into kind of computers and stuff like that. So um, kind of seeing him, he was my role model and like seeing the way that he was able to get out of a very similar situation to me and him being able to succeed was kind of, I guess, my roadmap going forward. So that was one part of it. 
I think another big thing was um, was he was he was one of the first people to believe in me. So I remember very clearly after kind of my freshman year in high school, we were driving down to Virginia. I would like um, every summer I'd go and visit him for like a week or so or something like that during the summer. And we were driving down, and at some point he asked me like, "Oh, like where do you want to go to school? Where do you want to go to college?" And at the time, I was just like. Uh, I, I don't know. I, I would like to go to a good school, um, maybe something like Princeton, but they'll never accept someone like me. And, and even if I could get in, I couldn't afford it. So I kind of defeated myself before I had even begun. But, but Sean, he believed in me. And he said, like, what are you talking about? Like, you're doing well in school now. If you, like, work harder and you continue to work hard, you'll, you'll have a chance of getting into, like, a great school like that. And if you get into one of those like great schools, like an Ivy League school, they'll make sure that money isn't an issue for you to go there. And just with that like little boost in confidence, kind of a, a, a flip switch in my head going from why bother to why not, where I effectively just like, I, I believed, I was like, you know what, I have nothing to lose to go down this path. And I'll set my sights on a really like kind of pie in the sky idea, like really kind of far out. And even if I don't reach that goal, I'll still be better off than I would have otherwise by just like pushing myself to go to that degree and like go after that thing. And that ended up working out. So I think that was kind of the big motivator for me. Um, kind of the initial like inspiration was my older brother, Sean, both in the fact that he was able to, uh, to succeed and the confidence that he had in me. So at school, you, you had a maths teacher called Chantel Smith. Um, who had an impact on your life, how, how did Chantel impact you? And looking back now, what was the lesson you took that Chantel shared with you? It was quite interesting actually meeting Chantel. So one thing that happened was my older brother, Sean, he was like helping me out um, kind of, as I said, through middle school and early high school. But come to my junior year, him and his partner kind of had uh, uh, their relationship kind of fell apart and he ended up like moving out to California and once again, cutting himself off from the family. So I lost contact with him. So I was kind of back to square one being all alone and not having kind of like my role model or kind of this person that like genuinely cares about me, um, like there to support me and just being kind of in the chaos of my day to day, like family and whatnot and dealing with, uh, kind of my mother and kind of all of her craziness, um, with my, with my grandmother and stuff like that. Um, but I was fortunate enough that that's when I met Chantel Smith and she was my trigonometry teacher. And the amazing thing about Chantel is the fact that she was just so inquisitive. She liked, and, and, and she noticed and she genuinely cared about her students, right? I was, I was a very quiet kid in high school. Like I was the shyest kid you can, you can imagine. So I tried to sit at the back of the room, not make too much of uh, too much noise or anything like that. I never talked to anyone kind of about like my family or kind of uh, my life growing up, partially, like you said, because I didn't realize that my life was like really any different than anyone else's. Uh, and that like the things that were going on didn't have to be that way. Um, and also partially just being just a shy person in general. But what Chantel did is um, at the time I had braces, but my family, my brother had kind of, my other brother, um, Shannon had taken custody of me and gotten these braces um, kind of through a, uh, through like some state um, provided health care, um, health insurance. Um, but my brother, my other brother, Shannon, he's not the most like organized person. So my braces, he like missed appointments and stuff like that. And we couldn't go to the orthodontist anymore because they had racked up this bill from all the like uh, missed appointment fees. 
So my braces were falling apart. And my teacher, Miss uh, Chantel, she like noticed that. And uh, she like paid attention and noticed that and asked like, what was going on with my braces. And uh, when I told her kind of everything that happened with my family, my brother missing appointments, she immediately sprung into action and just figured everything out. She like took me to her, her children's orthodontist and made sure I didn't have to pay a dime. She got my uh, records released from the other orthodontist, like kind of organized everything to help me out. And her kindness like didn't stop there as far as um, she also helped. She paid for my driving school lessons so that I could actually get out of my grandmother's house and get away from the cats and dogs. And uh, that enabled me to get a job. So I, like I said, I was able to buy food and uh, allergy medicine towards kind of like the end of my time in high school because I was able to get a job at the local library since I could actually drive there and stuff like that. Um, and then when I went to MIT, she sent me care packages, um, like during finals and everything like that. And when I, when I would go back home while I was in college, she would let me stay with her family because the, like I tried to go back home to my house after going to MIT, but my allergies just got even worse being away from cats and dogs. So like literally whenever I went home, it just, I, I couldn't even sleep. I was like coughing and sneezing so much. So, um, and now I, I pretty much think of her like rather than a trigonometry teacher, I, I think of her as my mom. And I would say kind of the lesson that I took away from kind of her entire interactions and also like a lot of the teachers in my high school were quite amazing as far as how generous and general and genuinely caring um, they were. It's just the fact that, uh, I don't know, I guess I, I have this belief, like a strong belief that people genuinely, like the majority of people are good people. Like they're, they, they will care and that there are people out there that will genuinely care about you and like have your back. Whereas kind of growing up with my family, I didn't really feel that. I didn't really feel kind of like this, like, uh, supportive environment, these like long-term relationships. Like when you think about it, right? Like my father left before I was born, my mom was there for a little bit and then she would leave and come and go. So I like never felt this attachment that like people actually cared about me. And then when Sean left as well, that was kind of a big blow for me. Like this person that like I thought cared about me just left as well. Um, and I, I guess, I. I it kind of like through all of this, it forced me to be very, very independent, um, kind of growing up. Like I had to like figure out how to cook for myself. I had to figure out how to do like a bunch of stuff for myself and take care of myself and like get work done, figure out how to do assignments because I never had any help from my parents for anything like writing essays or doing homework or anything like that. I just had to like figure it out all myself, even applying for college. I pretty much had to like more or less figure out like by myself. So I, I was kind of very much this like independent person and whatnot and didn't really like trust other people to depend on other people. But, um, I think through just like Chantel's continued, uh, generosity and, um, just kindness, it's like convinced me of otherwise that people are genuinely, there are like genuinely good people out there that can uh, care and that you can, you can go further when you have like a supportive environment that you have a supportive, like kind of network of people it can enable, enable you to do more than you, kind of would otherwise. I came across you, Cody, in Angela Duckworth's book called Grit, and grit is defined as constancy of effort over time. Your journey from where you've come from, and we'll get to where you are now in a second, but it's been a heck of a journey. What's kept you going? How, how have you maintained this degree of grit? Yeah, that's a great question. So I'd say it's, it's actually, there, there's been two things. So early on, I would say it was kind of that motivation of just wanting to escape 
kind of out of the situation and be able to live kind of a more comfortable life where I could actually afford the things that I needed, where I didn't have to like worry about buying food or medicine or anything like that. I would just would have a job where I could pay for that. And then also being able to like maybe travel once in a while. So that was probably one of like the big motivators is just, I didn't want to end up like my family and they kind of gave me um, a lot of examples of what not to do in life. So I just kind of strive to like do the opposite of that. Um, so that was kind of a big motivator, I think, first, like getting into MIT and like, like during high school and stuff, as far as, um, kind of the motivator to like, work really hard, get involved in a lot of extracurricular activities and going to college, like working really hard there. Um, and there was also, I guess maybe like on the flip side of that, there was also probably a little bit of fear, like always in the back of my head, I guess I was a little bit afraid of like ending up in that situation. Like all of this could like fall apart and I don't really have any safety net whatsoever. I, like my family back home isn't they're not they're not going to be able to support me at all uh i mean my mother's like just unstable and can't support herself my grandmother she's been like driven into poverty kind of by everything that kind of uh my my mother's done and she's older and stuff like that and i was just like there's there's no one really there's no one to really to catch me if i fall so there's kind of that like i i need to be successful otherwise um i'm going to be kind of stuck in a really difficult place but the interesting thing is, I'd say after I graduated from college, kind of my motivation switched where I was able to, like, I, I now I like worked for a year and I had a great job and I was able to kind of live that dream where I could afford whatever I needed, be able to travel, have a nice place and stuff like that. And now I'm kind of motivated by realizing that I'm no different than any other kid. There's so many other people that had similar lives as me, but their trajectory doesn't end up at the same point. And that, that really bothers me. And uh, I'm kind of motivated to do whatever, whatever I can to solve that and to help kind of, uh, whether it be motivate, inspire, or like what, whatever I can do to kind of like enable more people to kind of go through this transformational journey that I did. In what I'm, what I'm curious about is along the way, Cody, an incredible story from where you started, your upbringing, family, being poor, getting into school, meeting Chantel, you then worked at Google, so you got yourself into Google. So you were you were one of those guys with googliness. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's definitely a fun place to work. Looking back now, and I look, I love the movie. I love the googliness movie, and I love. I've met a few people who work there. Everybody speaks very highly of the environment. You're now at Stanford, and we'll get there in a second. But when you look back on your time at Google, what did what was the biggest takeaway from your time working with the people around you with Googliness? I guess just like it was such a it was such a nice collection of like really smart and kind people that genuinely kind of cared about one another, and like it was a company that cared about their employees. Um, kind of again going through this like. Uh, this like trust and genuine, genuine kindness and stuff like that. Seeing kind of a company that had these like strong core values um, was very powerful to me and something that um, I, I really valued kind of within the company. And then it's kind of like dedication to just do kind of like awesome things to help the world and to show that there, that that is a kind of a possibility that, you know, it kind of demystifies, I guess, this, um, view of like corporate, like corporations and stuff like that. just kind of being out for like money and capital and like doing whatever they can. And even if that has to kind of hurt the everyday person or stuff like that, just going for like their share price and stuff like that. Um, I felt like Google, especially kind of back when, um, when I was like interning at Google, that, uh, 
They genuinely just cared more about doing things that were good and making the world a better place. Do you know, Robbo, hearing Cody talk about Google, there's a lot of parallels to the Mojo Radio Show. I'm just going to oh, take you there. Smart people. Time. Yes. Care for employees. That's yeah. basically you and me. We care for each other. Right? Of course we do. Big time. Another, yeah. another Tim Tam, mate? Hey, and uh, more coffee. <laughs> and they are all about uh, wanting to help the world. Now, I mean, there are some... Yeah. There's some parallels that don't sit, Cody, because we don't have any money and we have no capital. So, I mean, we 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 can't tick those boxes. We don't have cafes in in the studio. We don't have slippery slides in the building. Uh, And we live off free coffee from uh, Caveman Coffee. Yeah, the comfy couch is a beanbag in the corner. (laughs) So you've, you've gone through all that and you've headed to MIT and you're now doing a PhD at Stanford. I mean, the first thing that comes to mind is how beautiful it is that you had this dream sitting in the car driving to Virginia with your brother and then he gave you the confidence and the belief in yourself. You changed the language from why bother to why not. And I, I love all that and the fact that you dreamed about being in a great college and you are now doing a PhD. Based on what you just said about people with Googliness, your dreams, what's the next things? You you get your PhD, what will that allow you to do, Cody? Yeah, so I think there's a lot of different things. Um, kind of the great thing about a PhD, especially in computer science, I think it enables you to have like a lot of flexibility. So I could see myself continuing to do kind of research in academia, thinking about, um, I mean, kind of my big motivation for studying the PhD was looking at education and kind of, computer science and machine learning and thinking about how we could kind of leverage um, machine learning and artificial intelligence to create kind of more efficient um, educational systems that would kind of close the achievement gap rather than widen it. So like being able to engage more people, thinking about how to like bring people together in online systems so that it accelerates their learning, things like that. So I could see I could go down that avenue. Um, but I could also see myself potentially kind of going down the route of like trying to start my own company or something like that. I mean, both, uh, Larry, Larry Page and Sergey, uh, Sergey Brin were both PhD students here at Stanford. And then they started Google, um, based off of their page rank algorithm. I believe even, I think Elon Musk also, uh, started his PhD here at Stanford, but he quickly dropped out, uh, to pursue PayPal at the time. Or I think it was, it had a different name when it first started. But so I could see myself going down that route as well. And I think there'd be a lot of benefits from that as far as like kind of continuing the the kind of genuine company that cares about improving the world, as well as also demonstrating just even another level of like what is possible, like regardless of where you come from, like the fact that you can be successful and as you can uh, kind of do all these amazing things. And that's, that's within your reach and kind of continuing to help, like, motivate people and serve as kind of, I guess, um, a role model in that regard. Or I could, I could even see myself um, potentially going into, like, politics, uh, politics or something like that, trying to be a senator and trying to, like, affect more um, kind of policy and, and uh, kind of doing that. Because, I don't know, to some degree, I see people have, like, a bad opinion of, um, like, uh, 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 politicians. But that becomes kind of problematic because I can imagine that that kind of uh, 
becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. Like if you say all politicians are bad and that good people aren't going to want to be politicians and then it's going to just get like this, uh, it's going to get worse. And the only people that end up applying to be politicians are going to be people that aren't that great. So, um, I could see myself, I could see myself going down a number of different routes. And fortunately I have probably five years to figure out what exactly I want to do as I, as I finish my PhD. I think the other similarity, Robbo, from what Cody's saying is that not only does Larry, Elon and Sergey go to Stanford, but they're also huge fans of the Mojo Radio Show. Oh, massive. That's right. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh, always oh, check in yeah. to see how we're going. And, and they've got PhDs like me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Cody, now that you're doing your PhD, you're in a, a super prestigious college, university. In your quiet moments, when you're looking back through your past, what emotions stir in you? Like what emotions come to the surface? Do you, do you carry any regrets? Do you carry any anger? Like when you think about it, how, how does it feel in your gut? Probably like earlier on when I like first, uh, when I was still, I guess, kind of like late teens, like when I was first starting at MIT, there was maybe a little bit more um, kind of, I guess, frustration or like maybe a little bit of anger and stuff like that, especially towards kind of cookie uh, to, to, to like my biological mother and the things that she did kind of growing up that just made life really difficult. But then ultimately, I think I kind of came to this realization as far as like thinking about it more and reflecting on it more, that a lot of it like is unfortunate and like clearly she shouldn't have done those things. Like she should have like bought food for me. She should have uh, like got allergy medicine or like cared for the fact that I was allergic to all of her pets. Um, she should have like tried to get me like health insurance or should have like, like all these things that she should have done. But um, ultimately I, I also realized that a lot of it, she had like a very tough life as well. Kind of the things that happened to her that were very unfortunate. And to some degree it doesn't do anything. It doesn't benefit me at all holding any kind of resentment or anger towards cookie. Uh, it's not going to make my life any better. So I kind of, Re, like released all that and like I don't I don't hold any grudge up against her and realized that she had a lot of like tough things to deal with like she had a very abusive first husband that like fought her like physically abused her cheated on her put a gun to her head and everything like that that just uh, messed her up quite a lot as well um, and just she had she dealt with a lot of difficult things um, so. I guess there's that aspect of kind of like thinking back back home. Like um, I don't I don't really hold any much like much of a grudge or anything like that anymore. I guess kind of in reflecting back back to kind of my life growing up, it's just it's still even to me right like a, a little bit of a mystery as to like why I was successful and why other people kind of were were not as successful coming from like a similar background as me and how can we make that kind of better. Um, and I, I guess I, I do have a little bit of an idea as far as like, uh, I think it's, I just think it's like really, really tough. There's not that many like kind of examples, like, uh, there's not many, I guess, kind of role models and it's so easy to build up barriers. Like I remember prior to meeting Sean and him kind of pushing me just being like, Oh, if I saw someone that was successful, it's so easy to say, Oh, they had this, this, and this, and that's why they're successful. And I don't have that thing, uh, those things. So like, there's no way that I can be as successful as they are. Um, and just kind of, I guess that kind of drives me a little bit to like do things like this, to like share my story and whatnot, to hopefully kind of break down those barriers and give people confidence. Um, and I guess I also like, it's kind of interesting, like just thinking about kind of the different views I've seen in society, right? Like I started out at kind of like one of the, kind of probably like the, the, the 
bottom like percentages, like probably the bottom percent of like the United States. And then now being on the complete flip side of having gone to like two very prestigious and elite universities, like doing my, uh, my bachelor's and master's at MIT, going now doing my PhD at Stanford, having worked at Google, which is like one of the best companies in the world, having been able to travel around the world and like visit a bunch of different countries and just, and the people that I get to interact with are these like famous, uh, famous like uh, scholars that you hear about, they do documentaries about or famous like business people and stuff like that. Um, and just kind of, just like it's the complete opposite of where I started kind of um, growing up and just being able to kind of just like, I kind of reflect on the kind of the, the differences there and just thinking about how like different people vary and stuff like that. Um, and I guess kind of being exposed to so many different kind of lifestyles and different people and different backgrounds and whatnot has, uh, I guess I, I reflect more on that when thinking about, I guess kind of you know, whether it be technology policies, different things like how it affects, how it's actually going to affect people and who, who's going to be hurt, who's going to be benefited by things and kind of like digging into kind of um, a lot of like uh, the kind of um, side effects of anything that we do and kind of like what, what, like what actually makes big impact. Um, because sometimes I, I see people that are, they're pursuing an idea that they think is going to like change the world. But when you kind of look at it, it's like the people that are going to benefit from this thing are already pretty well off. Like it's not going to kind of make or break their life. Um, and like, how can we kind of bring focus back to the people that like need it most? In Angela's book, Grit, Angela profiled you as a wonderful example of grit, Cody. And you've gone from welfare and handouts and being super poor, having to go to McDonald's to get toilet paper, essentially, and a broken home. Right Is that what through they call Big Macs these days? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right through to doing a PhD in Stanford. On that timeline to this moment today, you just talked about impact. I'd be curious to know who or what mm. was happened along that way that's had the biggest impact on you as a man. That's a tough question. I would say um, this is because of being exposed to so many different people. There's a lot of been, I, I try to look for like um, what I can learn from from everyone, like kind of looking at the positives of everyone and kind of like what are the kind of assets and stuff like that and kind of taking that from them and kind of like evaluate, like looking at people like that and kind of uh, trying to have a broader understanding. So it's hard to kind of pinpoint one exact person. I would say that um, I think both Sean, I mean, Sean kind of like with the initial inspiration and then kind of Chantal and like all the teachers in my high school that like helped out um, just as far as like continued like generosity and being like a, a very kind person because I could, I could somewhat imagine like had, had Chantel and the teachers not come in my life, I might've still been successful, but I would have had this like a uh, kind of a uh, mentality of just like only caring about myself to some degree. Right. Because I would have been like, Oh, no one like helped me at all or anything like that or showed me any kindness. Cause I think um, by, by the generosity and by kind of like the, help that I saw from like Chantel and just like when she didn't have to do it. Like I was just, I was just another student in her class. Like she didn't have to do any of this. She didn't have to notice or pay attention, but she did. And, um, I guess that's kind of affected me the most. Like I tried to do that as far as, uh, when I interact with other people, like both, um, uh, like while I was at MIT, I made it a point every single semester to go back home to my high school and, um, just talk to students there and like connect with them and like kind of share my story with them hopefully kind of inspiring them to, to, to push themselves and to apply to better schools. I, I remember one of probably uh, the biggest um, 
kind of achievements that I was like most excited about in my life wasn't like getting into Stanford or anything like that. Um, was actually having um, another kid from my high school get into MIT, the second person from my high school get into MIT and him like kind of messaging me and saying how much kind of like my talks made an impact on him. So just kind of like, I don't know, realizing that and just like how, how it doesn't, it, it doesn't even have to be something big to have an impact in someone's life. Right. Like I think when we say impact and we kind of like think about passion and stuff, we imagine like really, really big things. Like you're going to do something like start like some foundation somewhere and you're going to like give millions of dollars to like some charity or something like that. But I think impact actually um, can be much smaller and still have, have like quite a large effect on people. Like it, it comes down to the way that we interact with people and every single day can have an impact in someone's life. Like whether it be just taking a little bit of extra time to actually genuinely ask and like dig into like how someone's life's actually going. I feel often we get so preoccupied kind of with our own lives that we don't really think about the people that are around us and kind of think about like what we can do to make their lives better. And it doesn't, it doesn't take a lot, right, to, like, to kind of change to, uh, to, I guess, leave that, like, positive seed or that little bit of encouragement or anything like that. And it adds up over time to have kind of a much, much larger effect on someone. Um, so I don't know. I guess that's kind of uh, how I think about stuff. Um, kind of going back to the fact that I try to look for all the... I like reflect and look at kind of all the people that are around me and the interactions I have and kind of like what, what I can learn from that. Um, and I think, uh, that those small interactions are just as important as like the, the big things as well. And everyone can do it. Everyone can have those little interactions. Katie, I'm conscious of your time because you're on spring break. You obviously want to get down there and start partying in Florida. Um, (laughs) just, I, I read or, saw you speak about one thing. I just want to wrap up with this because I thought it was just beautiful and I really would be interested in your thoughts on this. You said there was a special moment for you was waking up as a little boy, going to the Christmas tree on Christmas morning and finding a present under the tree with your name on it. Can you remember that time and how you felt when you, because the reason I asked the question, Cody, is because we all take it for granted. I guarantee the majority of our audience just take it for granted. They'll wake up on Christmas morning. There'll be a present. It'll either be crap or awesome in somewhere in between. But we take it for granted that something's going to be there. I'm curious to know if you can remember how it felt that morning when you walked up and cast your eyes and went, that's me, that's my present, and it's Christmas. It was kind of it was crazy. So growing up, right, in my family, we, we never did anything for holidays. We never had a Christmas tree or anything like that. Uh, Cookie, my mother would always like promise that she was going to buy me like a PlayStation, but that never happened. It was like an IOU for like 15 years or something like that, that she just like never came through. So it it wasn't actually until, until I had gone to MIT and like, like I said, I I went back home for the holidays and rather than staying at kind of uh, my grandmother's house, I stayed with Chantel and just, uh, yeah, I remember it was like, it was an amazing moment. Like just like that continued generosity and just like really kind of really letting me in as, as part of like one of the family. Like, so they got gifts for me and wrapped all the gifts and I had a little stocking and everything like that. And I had never, I had never experienced that. Right. Like I'm at that point, I'm probably like 18 or 19 years old and I'm having my first like Christmas as people would imagine it. And um, yeah, it was, it, it was, it was such an amazing feeling just the generosity and the fact that like you can be so kind to someone. And such a simple thing and just like 
treating someone like they're one of your own and just actually really having kind of that support and realizing that someone like genuinely cares about you. I, I think like even more than the present, right? Like now when I think about Christmas, I like the thing that matters to me in Christmas is kind of that aspect of family and just, uh, just being surrounded by people that you that genuinely care about and that expression of caring. So it doesn't have to be like, it doesn't have to be a big fancy gift or anything like that. Just like a small kind of idea that someone like genuinely cares about you and is looking out for you. And also just uh, how amazing it was to, to become kind of a part of someone else's family. One last thing I just like your thoughts on Cody, you had this really nice term that I've heard you use called naive optimism. Can you explain in your mind what you mean by that and why it's so powerful for you? Yeah, I think very much kind of um, both in high school and MIT and just even now, like this idea of naive optimism. There was a lot of times where, like I said, like you build up barriers in your head and you say that you can't do these things. Um, and I would say there's a lot of times where I would like look at something and like, there's no way that I'm going to actually get this opportunity. There's no way that I'm going to get into MIT. There's no way that I'm going to like even like get into Stanford for my PhD and stuff like that. But I didn't let that stop me. Instead, I was just like, you know what, even though it's a small chance, it's still a chance. So like, let's go for it. Uh, even realizing that the odds are stacked against me. Um, and that it's like, like when I was applying to MIT, I realized I was the first one from my high school to go to MIT and that generally there's going to be like, when I got to MIT, the fact that there was going to be so many people that came from better backgrounds and went to private schools and stuff like that. But just, uh, I guess being kind of uh, either being kind of naively optimistic. So just being kind of like, let's just go, let's just do it. Let's just apply for things and just see how it works out because at least I have a chance that way. And uh, yeah, rather than counting myself out. Well, mate, this has been terribly inspiring. It's a beautiful story. And I think what I find most exciting is that I know that this is just a little pit stop on your way, that your journey has got decades and decades of wonderful work where you're being of service to others and inspiring people around you at all levels of life. So Good on you, mate. It's uh, it's terrific having you on the Mojo Radio Show. Thank you for taking time out of your spring break from Stanford to share with us. And, um, mate, we hope we can keep in touch with you and uh, and follow your journey. Yeah, definitely. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure. The Mojo Radio Show. Simmer down, you noisy, screaming thing. I'm feeling it. I'm feeling it right now. I love those quotes people put on, on social media saying, you know, what's your excuse? <laughs> I could have said, <laughs> you hear about his upbringing. Mm what he's been through. I mean, there's gold in there, but it's just a beautiful, inspiring, authentic, genuine, true story. Yeah. Nice, isn't it? It's such an amazing story. That guy has climbed some mountains. You're making a link there, aren't you? <laughs> nice segue. What do you think? Did I make the link? Did you work? I should you, be in radio. You were up all night writing that, weren't you? Oh, gold. <laughs> so here's my segue, guys. Mm. We had some sad news this week that one of the greatest climbers of our generation, famous Swiss climber, Yuli Steck, died in Nepal this week ahead of a Mount Everest expedition. He was known as the speed climber and he set oh, lots and lots of records because of the way that he pushed himself, his physical endurance, his mental capabilities to not just climb the greatest peaks in the world but do them at speed. Mm. And he had quite a reputation, but uh, the sad news is that in preparation for his climb up Everest, he slipped and he has died. So um, pretty tragic. How's this for a record, though? 
In 2015, he decided to climb all 82 peaks in the Alps, uh, higher than 4,000 metres, and he only travelled between them by foot, bike and paraglider. You know how long it took him to do that? 82 peaks, travelling between them by foot, bike or paraglider. How long do you reckon it would have taken him? Oh, three, four months, something? Try 62 days. Wow. And you know what else occurred to me? Maria Grumberg, remember a few months ago we spoke to her, um, mountain climber? How could anybody forget Maria Grumberg? I know, exactly. Just like Ikea, it's a name you don't forget, right? For those people who did not hear that episode, it was just prior to Christmas time, I would really suggest that you go back to episode 110 with Maria Grumberg. Now, Maria, fantastic lady. That was an episode full of mountains of gold. Mm-hmm who has climbed Mount Kilimanjaro four times and has done Everest only recently and is planning more expeditions you can follow her on social media. But uh, an amazing lady. And uh, that, that episode had a profound impact on you, didn't it, mate? Yeah, she did. She talked about the power of breathing. Just let me play it is. Here's another Mojo radio show, Moment of Gold. So what's, what's an example of a mental training exercise for you? So it's a given day, your Instagram account and your website has photos of you doing gym workouts and, and training, which is, I, I, and I kind of understand that. I'm curious on the sorts of things that our listeners could take away and say, I want to deliver a, a bit of mental performance. Are there particular exercises that you can share that we would take away and attempt ourselves? I think the most uh, powerful tool that we have is our breath, our breathing. Uh, and it's a tool that you have with you, you know, wherever you go, it's with you. You don't have to pack it or you won't forget it. Um, it's always with you. And um, a lot of, of, Tapping into our breathing helps us to to do so many things, really, but it, it helps us to lower our stress levels and to focus and to make our bodies more basic. Um, it actually affects the pH level in our bodies, and um, it, it also helps us to get us centered and focused. And also, also it's very challenging because, because for many people, just sitting down and breathing is very challenging because uh, we don't do that normally. Uh, we're so used to get, being in high tempo and everything's supposed to happen very fast. And we, for many people, it's been months or years or decades since they sat down with themselves and actually felt how it's feeling to be them. How does it feel to just be with you? And I think it's important because it's, it's also building up and giving you a sense of what relationship do you have with yourself? And that is a very, for me, a very, very essential and important question because the relationship that you have with yourself, uh, everything around you reflects that what kind of relationship you have with yourself. Um, so being bold enough to sit down and just starting to breathe for about five minutes every day, it's, it's the best start to mental training, I would say. And for some people, they have to be in silence. 
And for some people, they, you know, like to listen to some music or something. It's, it's easier to tune out the outer world. Um, it's different for everybody. But just to get that time, five minutes a day. And if you don't have five minutes, you don't have a life. So get those five minutes, start breathing and just feel how it feels. To, and, and usually it's easy to focus on the breath, just following how it feels breathing in through the nose and letting the lungs expand and then breathing out through the nose. And it's easy. It's, it's also easier to be more present if you put your hands on your chest. So you actually feel when it's rising and, and lowering. That's the basic. Um, other like quick mental uh, things that I do is I visualize. I love visualizing. Uh, it's the best way to trick your brain into doing something it doesn't want to do. Um, for instance, I'm, I'm, I'm such a, I, I have such a massive fear of heights. What? I Hang on, so you've climbed Kilimanjaro a number of times, you've done Everest, and you're telling me you've got a fear of heights? Yes, a massive fear of heights. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm living like in my apartment right now, it's on the fifth floor, and I walk out on, on my balcony every day just to stand there and work with my fear of heights. Um, meaning that I'm the perfect example that with mental training, you can you can overcome quite about anything. So uh, after taking those five minutes of breathing, you go into another five, 10 minutes where you visualizing this, this situation where you're doing the thing that, yeah, that scares you and you see yourself doing it and being calm and having being in control and just feeling that situation and seeing yourself doing it successfully and you know uh calmly and and all that so you're training your mind to switch the negative to the positive and sometimes i have to visualize it you know 200 times a thousand times before i can do it that piece had a really profound impact on me because it's something i am struggling with right now so um I reckon that was worth having a listen back to. It was a great, great show. We know Maria is a big fan of it. Well, actually, she is. She is a big fan of the she show. She is a big fan of us. Absolutely. <laughs> we could say that for real for once. <laughs> for rule. It's for rule. So, uh, yeah, that's tops. It's tops, mate. Absolutely. All right. Top show. Uh, we're out of here. What are we yeah. going to play? Oh, easy this week, mate. Midnight Oil touring later in the year. Got to go King of the Mountain. The oils. Walking through the Shadow of light.
Radio Show is produced and recorded in the studios of Voodoo Sound. For more tips and tools to get your mojo working, check us out on Facebook at the Mojo Radio Show or online at themojoradioshow.com. For more about Gary, see GaryBurtWhistle.com or to polish your next audio or video production, check out VoodooSound.com.au and for the right voice, RealTimeCasting.com. Andrew Peters speaking. See you next time. <laughs>